Welcome to The Turning Point, a podcast for any and all of us who are interested in education in sub-Saharan Africa. On this podcast, we'll be speaking with leaders, teachers and educators from all walks of life, but all of whom have a keen interest in the preparation of our next generations for an exciting future on the African continent. If you're interested in Africa taking its rightful place on the global education stage, or indeed simply interested in having a small window into this crucially important time in African education's history, join us on The Turning Point to hear what others have to say. Welcome to another episode of the Ubuntu Education Podcast. We are today very excited to be meeting Professor Seth Obong, who works at the University of Botswana. Um, he is a specialist um, in the area of early childhood development, and we are excited to find out more about his approach to decolonizing the early childhood curriculums and to making best use of cultural heritage and best um, practice in community engagement. We are um, going to be delighted to hear what he's got to say on this. It should be an interesting conversation. Okay, so welcome everybody to another edition of Turning Point, the Ubuntu Education Podcast. We are delighted today to be speaking with Seth Opong and we are excited to hear his views and experience around early childhood in Africa, um, psychology and all that he has worked on in between. So first of all, Seth, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And, and if we could just begin by, if you would be happy, tell us a little about yourself, your professional background, the places and, and schools of thought that have shaped you. Who is Seth Opong? Okay, thank you so much for the question. As I've been introduced, my name is Seth Opong. I'm currently a professor of psychology at the Department of Psychology at the University of Botswana. Before joining the University of Botswana, I would say UB for short. Before joining UB, I was at the Tubman University in Liberia. And then, of course, I worked in Ghana before moving to Liberia. Um, yeah, so I have been in the area of psychology and, and literally I've moved into or have meandered into early childhood development as well. What, what is there again to know about me? Um, yes. So I also served as a visit, an international visiting research scholar to North Carolina State University in Raleigh in the U S and I was also a Carnegie scholar at the University of Ghana as well. And so in a nutshell, that's what I, I am and what I've been doing. In terms of what has shaped my, my ideas around child development and psychology in general, I, I have to say that one of the major influences on my work has been Barmi, or I should pronounce his full name, Augustine Barmi in Seminole. Cameroonian psychologist who is lit. He, he passed away in, in February, 2018. Yeah. And then 
another major influence on my work has been Professor Robert Seppel, who is a professor emeritus of child developmental psychology at the University of Zambia, and also doubled as a, a former vice chancellor of the university. They have been the key influences on my on my work. But other 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 people who has also shaped my yeah. thinking around psychology and child development as well. Yeah, and we 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 discussed prior prior to 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 the recording about the kind of the journey towards early childhood as a as a kind of professional domain. And many of us in the field have got here sort of by accident. And do you want to tell us a little bit more about yes, how, yes, how, yes. You, how um, you journeyed into it? Yes. My journey to child development started from industrial organizational psychology. That was the original um, domain that I specialize in. But then I find myself in child development. I, I, I would say it's the year that marked my entry would be 2015. I would say that's 2015. Even though before then I've been doing some work here and there, but the, the main year that marked my entry is 2015, when I published a paper on the critique of early childhood development research and practice in Africa. Yeah. And that got some attention from Robert Seppel and then got introduced to other all into the community, properly baptized into the community. And, and ever since I have been working in that area, even though I do work on the fringes in industrial psychology or safety and other things, but that has been my, my focus. But it, it, it was a small entry into child development because before that, I have been working on mainstream industrial psychology and also doing African psychology or indigenous psychology. And so it became easier to transition mm -hmm. to child development, focusing on the very things that have been calling out in, in mainstream psychology. It was very easy to do the same thing in, in child development as well. And, and interesting that, you know, that whole, the idea of community and the idea of, you know, humanity, you know, whether, whether they're grown ups, small children, there's all those parallels. Um, and, you know, from my point of view, of course, I think I'm biased, but it's the best, it's the most interesting domain of all and, and such a powerful one. I mean, what drew you towards it or what, what kind of pushes you to continue with the early childhood specifically? When I started my work in early childhood, it, it was actually just to say that the theories that exist around child development, particularly in, in African settings, does not do or do not, they, they do not do justice to the context and that they 
tools that I even use for the research and the interventions are also not reflective of the conditions in Africa. I was just interested in pointing out those inadequacies and then it became something of an interest to continue to not just criticize, but to offer solutions. Mm. So then I moved away from just talking about it. So for instance, if you take my, my recent African theory of intelligence, it was just a response, a direct response to my own criticism of the mainstream Western literature on child development, because I have, I have moved away from rhetorics to, to doing something, just complaining. I, I don't like to complain. Yeah. Of course, we all like to complain, but it's not it's fun to yeah. just complain all the time. So yeah. I decided to now move away from, from just the complaining to doing something to fix the, the gaps that exist. So if you see my, my work on uh, I, uh, intelligence in African context is just one way that I try to resolve the, the, the concerns I have around that so that yeah. we'll not just be complaining, but we'll also be doing something. So I, I produce that, that theory of intelligence as a, as a response to that. Amazing. Yeah. And, and how important to have more more research coming from the continent and that there and there's a lot of work being done right across the continent but I, I it's interesting to hear this kind of solutions focused approach you're taking are you happy to tell us a bit more about what what you think those key priorities are what are some of the solutions as you see them or the ways forward that we on the ground can be trying to implement okay so what one of the things that we have to address in terms of research, which also relates to practice or to what practitioners have to do, is, is, is the fact that the whole arena of child development in the context of Africa should be decolonized. Mm -hmm. That one needs to, is a broad or a broader theme under which a lot of things can be looked at. Of course, there is a need to increase access. Mm -hmm. But access to decolonize ECD service. Yes. There is a need to increase quality, but quality from the perspective of a decolonized ECD service. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a need to, for us to address things around access and quality, but in the context of decolonized ECD service. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, I mean that there are a num there are issues that we have to think around in terms of our research to how we can expand the access to communities that have not been reached. Mm -hmm. Because whether 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 we like that or not, there are communities that have not been reached, and then we need to increase access. But we also have to discuss those issues in a broader context of decolonizing the content of education um, and, and also some other issues that we may not necessarily think about because if, if I reflect on my country of origin, which I didn't mention, that <laughs> I originally from Ghana, but yes. I 
reside and work in Botswana. But it, for instance, in my country of origin, people create settlements uh, without recourse to any law. So for instance, if I live in like an established village with ECD centers or some kind of ECD service, and I'm no longer into, happy about that community, I move into the closest forest and then I create my own settlement without yes. cause to any law. And then uh, over the period of time, I would then, the people in that settlement will request that we also have access to ECD service. Yes, of course. But of course, the government, it happens at the blind side of the government because the government does not know that a new settlement is sprouting up in that, say, forest or that. There's uh, a, a fluidity to the community. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's how settlements, at least for West Africa, I can say like for West Africa, that's how settlements emerge without mm -hmm. the government planning the people yeah. themselves go there. And then the I, I sort of thing that they, maybe they may like the idea of naming the settlements after themselves. So they create them. Yeah. So yeah. in such situation, you will always have settlements without access. Yes. Yeah. And we need to think of how broadly the planning of new settlements and the, and then the provision of the service or making available ECD service to those settlements. So we need to think broadly. It, 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 it even involves political decisions around this as well. It, it, yeah. Because ECD is, is a multidisciplinary thing. It's yeah. not just for only one group of people who did education or early childhood education or, or, or anything else, but yeah, for child development or development. People Health. come yeah. from different backgrounds and they yeah. all make it work for the community. Yes. So yeah. those things have to be addressed. How, how do we have rapid community assessment tools just to know that these communities have not been provided with access. And then we can think of how then we create those access. Is it the government? In many African countries, we know the government may not be able to provide all the, the ECD is the need to ensure that we, we think of how the bouquet of service that can be provided, NGOs, community-based organizations, government is itself providing the service and all of that. We need to think of uh, and uh, do our research to understand how that would be possible. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and we need to. Oh, sorry. I think the connection went a minute there. And with that, uh, with that broader thinking that you're talking about and, and a growing evidence base from, from research within the continent, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that, that more kind of contextualized solution that, 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 that many communities see. Okay. So, and then, then let me even address the issue of the quality and relate to the priorities that I am talking about. So both for the researcher and then the practitioner, there are concerns about the quality becomes very important. Now, mm -hmm. in terms of the quality, we want the curriculum to be set up in a way that 
provide the education that is needed. All right. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I was talking about the access that needs to be increased. And, and as researchers, we are becoming more interested in looking at ways through which the access can be increased and understanding how best we can have rapid assessment of communities to map out those communities that need to have access. So it becomes easier for governments to plan around all of that. And also for NGOs and, and other organizations that may be interested in, in, in providing or expanding access to ECD services in low and middle income countries. Yeah. And, and then for the quality, what has become so important is is that quality is not an inherent property of the ECD service, but it's, it has to meet is the extent to which it, it the, the provision meets the specifications of the community or the community aspiration and the community needs for their own children. And so there's a need for us to continuously think around how we can bring in the cultural assets of the community, the indigenous resources of the community into the ECD classrooms or the centers or the, uh, whether it's a home-based center or it's a regular ECD center. It doesn't matter. We still have to bring in the indigenous resources, the songs, the kings, um, yeah. the stories. And all of those things, the, the riddles, the rhymes that mm -hmm. are in the indigenous communities that can serve the same purpose as providing ways or mechanisms to, to, to develop the, 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 the domains of the, the, the child development and all of that. So all of those things are very important. And yeah. as much as we, we, we should, we, if you are a practitioner or you're a teacher, you might think, ah, or you are an NGO, you might think we know better, but you, yeah. you are doing that to serve a particular community and you don't want the service you provide to disrupt the community yeah. unnecessarily because yeah. you may in implement your intervention and then you create more problems when you leave yes. and that problem will leave with that community. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah. I, 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 if I recall, a colleague, if I, I think she's Bidget, Bidget from at Free Berlin University, we were talking about some issues and then she, she mentioned a community they have implemented an intervention in India where the intervention has created very negative impact on the community. It has okay. disrupted the community yeah. and that they had to advise the, the international NGO to discontinue the intervention. Yes. Yeah. Because the intervention was not serving the purpose. It was rather creating an unintended negative impact for the community. Then there yeah. are a couple of interventions like that. Even though the, the, the scale of the negative impact may be, unintended negative impact may be small, but it's still negative impact, mm. at least in the community. So we need to still think about what the community aspirations may be, how do we, how do we help them to 
inculcate in their children locally relevant skills mm-hmm. and globally competitive skills. Yes, yes. Same time. Yes, yeah. Those very important things that we need to think. These are priorities that we need to work on as researchers and as practitioners, as NGOs, as policymakers, and all of that. And not just to take in any intervention as a whole and then implement without making the necessary adjustments and doing even the community needs assessment to understand what the community really needs. Yeah. And I can hear a real strong kind of sense of sustainability and community respect and togetherness coming through in that sense of what you're saying. And for communities, the last thing ECD practitioners want is that disruption. You, you want to embed that fabric of togetherness because for, for each individual child that benefits the child and the community strengthens along the way. So yeah, I, I, it's such an interesting kind of idea that you've gotten and, and let's hope more, more people will join this, join this call. I wanted to ask a little bit more around, you're talking about indigenous skills and rich cultural heritage. I, I came across your paper. This is how I first found you on the internet. And the paper was entitled Interventions That Matter Start With Local Cultures. And, and this is where I, I, based on my own experience living in Malawi for a long time and, and modifying curriculums and contextualizing curricula, I, I was very excited to read about this. Tell us a little bit more about that particular element of your work. Okay. So uh, just a bit about the history around it and then what, what really sparked that. I, I would say is a mini project that came out of a workshop that was organized in November, 2020. Yes. November, 2020, the workshop was on ensuring cultural relevance of early childhood development and education. Um, it was co-sponsored by society for research in child, for research in child development, SRCD, and then I think Spencer foundation. Yeah. Yeah, so it it was after the, the, the workshop, we, of course, we discussed many of the issues that we are even talking about now mm-hmm. and showing cultural relevance and all of that and, and infusing indigenous resources into early childhood development. And it became necessary for us to think of ways to ensure that, even though it was very clear to us that we need to ensure that there is cultural relevance of early childhood interventions in, on the continent of Africa and, and in other low and middle income settings, but we didn't have some sort of blueprint that people could follow, yes. something that exists that could guide people to do that. And so the, the project was born out of the need to produce some kind of blueprint or some kind of set of strategies that could guide, uh, originally I even had wanted to call it a toolkit, uh, something that could, could guide people to, to, to do 
this kind of work on the continent of Africa and, and other uh, non-Western settings. And mm. so that brought about this project. So the, the whole idea is that we wanted to have something that policymakers, mm. international NGOs, even ECD teachers, community-based organizations around ECD could take and say that this is what can guide us mm -hmm. to ensure that culture is respected in the planning, in the designing, mm -hmm. in the implementation of the intervention, and then the, in the evaluation of the interventions. That, that was the principal objective of that, of the project. And I hope that we succeeded in, mm -hmm. the, in producing something that could be useful in that sense, that would guide practitioners and, and policymakers mm -hmm. around CD in, in Africa and then in other non-Western settings. Mm -hmm. I think, well, I think it's a, it's a really interesting paper and we'll, we'll certainly make it available on our Ubuntu hub for, for the readership just to, just to share this message because it, it, reading it for me as a as an early childhood practitioner, I was I found it very powerful because the experience I had trying to wh wherever I'd worked, whether that's in 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 Malawi or in the UK, I've, I've always tried to do that. Listen to the community, build build something together with the community. It's always more powerful. And and as an as an educator, learn you're also that learner. <laughs> You've got to keep learning the whole time. So learning from the community where you work because it's not your own home community or for some people it is but but even so as soon as you shift into a role as educator then you've taken on a different different role and and so the community will see you differently so always so valuable um so yeah I think I think it'd be interesting to know what what people on the hub feel when they're reading your paper as well what other what other inspiration could you share for us in this idea of building community and working with local community, your, your psychological background and your, your experience with that, I, I think educators would, would, would benefit from hearing what you have to say. Oh, yeah. Okay. So some of the lessons I've learned is that you need to respect the community that you work with, no matter how less educated the community members may be. They are the custodian of their own knowledge, their values, and they are also the custodian of their own community aspirations for their children. Mm -hmm. So they know a whole lot more than you, you think they, they do. And so it's very important to respect that, respect the community. And and here I don't mean superficial treatment mm. of that kind of respect. I, I mean where there's deep seated respect for the cultural values, because there 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 are, there are times that people go into communities and then their way of respect is learning how to say a greeting in their their language and they say it, but when the community shares their aspirations, their cultural values. We dismiss them. We become dismissive of their views on that. And, and the, the, 
that is something that we need to move away from. <laughs> we need to respect not on the surface, but deeply the the values, the cultural values that erode around child development. Because every community or every every cultural grouping you ha will have its own models of cult of child development. They all have their own understanding of developmental milestones, and which may or may not be in sync with the mainstream. Like yes, yeah. development. So let's respect that. Even if there's something that they do that may be objectively harmful, we still have to acknowledge that that is done for a certain purpose, mm -hmm. and then work with them, uh, present other alternatives of doing the same thing um, that will be less harmful to the community. Yes. Yeah. That's very important. So that respecting the community is very important in this it, as a way of working with every community. Another lesson I would also share is that in all the, the interventions that we we try to design with and for the community. We should always have sustainability yeah. in at the back of our minds. Because uh, we know that if most interventions, ECD interventions come with some provision of material resources mm -hmm. to the community, be that some bags of rice or some kind of food or some clothing or some money or some, it could be anything that we share. Not that if you are sharing any of those things, people who are not even interested in the intervention will still come for that. Yes. They will come to collect those things and go back to do whatever they are, they, they, they are used to doing. Mm -hmm. So it's always very important to think of how do we build from where they are. <laughs> yes. Instead of using deficit model, where we, we, we say they are doing things wrongly, let's start from strength-based models, mm -hmm. where we put on their cultural asset, their strength, where they are. That way, the intervention sits so well on the cultural base. Yes. And then when you leave as an NGO or as, uh, as an interventionist, the intervention will, will continue to persist. And, uh, yes. would, you, would you even say it, it ceases to become an intervention, but it just joins the fabric of, of the community somehow? Exactly. It becomes institutionalized into yes. the cultural practices of the community. And is no longer seen as an intervention or something some people drop to death. It has become part of their way of life. So for any intervention to work, we need to think of their way of life and how our intervention integrates itself into their way of life without causing a lot of disruptions that will leave the community worse off yes. than they were before the intervention. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, and, and in a way, 
you know, thinking of my own practice as a, as an early childhood educator, learning about whoever you're learning about within your setting, mainly it's through observation, obviously small children, you know, they're not, they're not doing written output. There's nothing. How do you measure? How do you know where they starting so that you can build upon? And, and I feel like an early childhood educators are very good at this watching and listening and waiting and seeing. And, and it's that kind of observational skill, perhaps we could champion further. I don't know how you feel about that. No, no, that is very important. Because in, in ECD assessment, you might not necessarily use all the, the assessment tools used for primary education or secondary education. You need to hone your observation skills because that helps us to understand what changes have been uh, has taken place in the children? What what were they able to do before this, and what are they able to do now after this? That that sort of thing helps us to know that there are changes that are taking place in in the in the children. So it's very important that every ECD practitioner, particularly the ECD facilitators. Mm-hmm become killed in observation and be able to use that as part of the assessment. Even even in psychology, when you talk about psychological assessment, mm-hmm. we are not talking about using tests. Yes. Or, yeah, we are talking about a combination of tests, observation, and interviews. Mm-hmm. In, in ECD, one of the things that you can do most of the time is to use the observation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is, is to use observation as a way of assessing progress. Yes. Yeah. And that is very important. Of course, where it's possible to have culturally relevant yes. tests, then, well, but not too many exist on the continent of Africa anyway. Yeah. So yeah. observation Perhaps. becomes very critical in, yeah. in, in, in assessing progress yeah. in the ECD domain. Well, and I, and this perhaps that takes me on to an, another area of discussion. We 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 spoke briefly earlier on about the idea of the practitioners and the workforce, and um and and often overlooked profession for the youngest children, and and yet such a vital one. How do you think we can champion this workforce? You know, for the betterment of all children. All right. I would say that in the in a long term solution would be to engage seasoned human resource practitioners, seasoned labor economists, seasoned organizational psychologists to to look at the workforce mm-hmm. to to and, and here I, I will use this book podcast to call on NGOs that have funding or who are now thinking of priority areas where they are funding, to consider funding research that will bring labor economies, Mm -hmm. HR practitioners, industrial psychologists, and people in this area to look at the ECD workforce and to work out frameworks that going forward can be used by the ECD workforce worldwide to to make it more attractive 
um, and to to be used as a way to even negotiate salaries and and wages for the workforce. That's the long term or mm -hmm. medium long term solution. Because without that, we would be we'll be doing that as as goodwill, but we will be doing it wrongly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I I hear a lot about. Good goodwill as goodwill is almost a, a currency for so many early childhood practitioners and a lot of volunteering, a lot of their time is given and and building yeah, how do you think we continue to build a sense of dignity and sustainability around the workforce? You've talked long term. What about short term? What can we do next? No, no, in the short term, or short short to medium term. There, the, there are a couple of things that we can do. One of it is to streamline the well, guess the entry into the workforce itself, because if we allow, we are allowing everybody to get into the workforce. Not that we don't need a lot of hands; we need a lot of hands. Yeah. But it does not mean we should also allow just anybody to get into the workforce. We should have minimum certifications. And mm -hmm. for that reason, I would praise Ubuntu Education for, for producing the kind of work that we have done that teachers or facilitators in ECD can can have access to and then become certificated in those areas. So we need to continue to work on that to, to, to ensure that there are some minimum standards that are met by the caregivers or the facilitators in that area. It's very important. Um, and, and that we should, as a matter of agency, also call on the the, all the teacher unions to have representation of ECD yeah. workforce on that. And, and in this case, I would, I would say I would, let me use this opportunity then. The, the Zambian teacher union for, for having done something similar, because even in their constitution, they have clearly articulated the importance of ECD. Mm -hmm. And you find that in, in many of the teacher unions across the world, ECD has not, does not have prominent mention in it's, the accommodation. how it's separate, you know, yes. Yeah. And, and for the Zambian teacher union, it's part of their, their core objectives and that they have a representation of the ECD workforce on the union leadership. Brilliant. And so that is something that is also should be seen as an example that should be learned from by other teacher unions across the continent to yeah. have a reason. Because if you are not at the table for decision-making, yeah. decisions will be made and you become an afterthought. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. You need that. And because without the key representation on the union, they will not be integrated into government payroll. So for, for places where they have such union representation, they are on government payroll so that ECD teacher or facilitator will earn the same as someone 
doing primary education or secondary education, as long as you have the same rank and the same qualification and experience, that will then resolve the issues around yeah. the wages. So we need vibrant union representation mm-hmm. and, and that the union themselves have to integrate ECD into their core objectives and their leadership mm-hmm. and make it an important because as the one of the I think the director of research for the Zambian teacher union said at the conference he said that if ECD teachers do their work well the work that you do at the primary level becomes easier the work that you do at the secondary level becomes easier. Yeah. You don't have to go back and deal with the things that they should have dealt with. Yes. Yeah. The foundation is so, strong. Exactly. So if you have good foundation through EC, so this is where I'm speaking to the unions, that if you make ECD a critical element of what you do, you are building the foundation for yourselves in the primary and the secondary levels. So that by the time these children get to primary and secondary level, they already have the foundation to be successful. Yeah. And the work that you do becomes minimal. Yeah. So doing, e- doing ECD union activism is the same thing as doing for yourself what you do at the primary and and secondary level, you are preparing yourself to be successful. Yes. So it's very important that we can see that the union activism around ECD, because it, without that, they become splintered workforce. They don't have common voice. They can't speak to the government. They can't negotiate with even the NGOs. Because once once the government sets sets out the the payroll for them, then they would. And the NGOs that come into the, those communities will peg their own salaries and wages for the ECDs against that. But in the absence of, of something, they will either give you something to volunteer or nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So these are some of the things that we need to. And when we have the, the industrial psychologists or the organization psychologists, HR practitioners and the labor economists coming together to work on these things. We'll have a better framework. Yes. After which this can be addressed. Yeah, it's, it sounds ex- so exciting as well, because thinking ahead that far, then also thinking about how early childhood has leadership capacity built into it from the beginning. So it's not seen as, as, as babysitting, as childcare, or just sort of keeping children quiet, but it's this huge investment that we can all make together in that, in that planned for and strategic way. It's very exciting. I wonder as well, just going back a little bit about what you were saying earlier on considering how um, so the cultural heritage could, could supercharge that early childhood in terms of, I'm not just talking about foundations for literacy and numeracy, but foundations for all parts of learning. Is it okay to think through that a little bit for our listeners? Yes, yes. 
Well, let me put it this way, that if you consider African communities or any other community on this earth, you would realize that every community considers childhood stage as an important stage for development. And that, and if you doubt it for the African community, then think of all the celebrations that goes around pregnancy, yeah. then childbirth and naming ceremonies and all of that. That tells you that it's very critical. It's mm -hmm. very important to the African community and that we can always start off from all those celebrations around that. And, and, and to borrow your word, supercharge the, the whole thing around child development. Because if we celebrate that much around child birth, then we can take the same enthusiasm and, 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 and transfer that into what we do after the child birth. Mm. Yeah. What comes next? <laughs> exactly. And that we also have cultural resources. There are cultural thinking around when a child is expected to walk, crawl, walk, when a child is expected to talk and all of that. Even the developmental delays, people think it's just about Western knowledge and all of that, that can help African communities know that ch children have developmental delays. No, because within the communities, there are expected ages where mm -hmm. the child is, is required to crawl, required mm -hmm. walk or stand, mm -hmm. walk, required to make the first language-like sounds, is expected to be able to say mama, that, that, yeah. papa or mama. All of those things, they exist in the community. Yes. It's not in any textbook. No. Yes, of course, people go and learn that in textbook, but there are, those things also exist in the community. Yeah. So they know when the child has, they, they know when the child is expected to do that and has not done that. So they know when there's a knowledge into the child development. We need to bring all the cultural knowledge into the cultural development, bring all the resources that they have in the community that can help hone the skills that a child has to develop in cognition, for mm -hmm. the physical development, for social, emotional development, all of those skills that they need to develop. We can bring the resources they have. Because mind you, before the encounter with Europeans, people were growing, people were being cared for as children in their own communities. Who became successful in the as far as the community is concerned, without any encounter with any Europeans. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Absolutely. So when you encounter Europeans, all of a sudden, the knowledge they had cannot be useful. The knowledge is so useful, whether we like that or not, that is what a lot of parents in, use anyway. They don't use knowledge in textbooks. They are not seeing child development or developmental psychology. They use the community knowledge that exists. Yeah. yeah. And then that community... So, sorry. Yeah. 
to guide yes. their, the, the, the development of their children, to care for their children. They talk to themselves, talk to the grandmothers. That reminds me of a cultural anthropology of childhood research paper I, I graded recently. And looking at how grandmothers play a role in all of this, serving as the custodian of the knowledge around child development in the community and people tapping into the knowledge. If the child has this disease, they will consult their grandmothers and their grandmothers will talk to other grandmothers if they don't know about it and all of that. So the knowledge circulates in the community. Yes, yeah. And that strength of the network and strength of knowledge, as you say, it's, 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 it's a living, it's a living organism in, in its own way. I, I, I found it super, super exciting to see the power of that encouragement for, or, or kind of celebration of sort of local cultural songs, knowledge, games, the excitement of, of, of that being somehow I, I don't know championed in a way that before it was it was it was there was more of an endeavor it's not proper education it's not, but it's the richest resource in terms of developing children's language skills communication social and emotional development and it's and it's i feel like the, the word supercharges i feel so strongly that it's a, a kind of latent resource just waiting to 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 be sort of championed further because it's existing it's happening all the time and somehow it's not coming into an education environment of course in some places it does but but if if we could if we could spread that further how powerful could it be yeah yeah in this respect one of my colleagues got free in a certain project in uganda what they have and Ethiopia, what they have done is to codify a lot of those games and indigenous games. They have actually have it in the book, book four, where they have a lot of those games, indigenous games codified, what it teaches, how it is played and all of that, that could be used in early childhood centers around the continent. It doesn't have to be only in Uganda and Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. But it yeah. could also be used in other places, and and that's something that we we also have to continuously consider collating and codifying these games. It's it's all right to talk about the oral literature of the knowledge that exists, but then we also need to codify the knowledge somehow so that. Their knowledge will not be lost unless mm -hmm. when the older generation passes on. We need to codify the knowledge. And so when I, when I saw the kind of work that Ubuntu education has done around de decolonizing early childhood development, I was so excited about it because at least it helps to codify part of that knowledge. And so every effort at codifying the existing knowledge that can supercharge early childhood development on the continent of Africa and other non-Western settings is a very welcome idea and endeavor that we need to support. Oh, well, we, we, we're excited to keep drawing the community together. There's so much happening. 
right across the continent already. It's great to be meeting online and, and, and building, building a community online for people who might be very remote as well. We, we, we're starting to have more and more join us, which is, which is great. I wondered as well, if you may, Seth, just tell us a bit more about your work with the Africa Early Childhood Network, because I know that's a, that's a well-established and very busy organization. Oh, yeah. Um, Africa Early Childhood Network is based in Nairobi, Kenya. And I think it was established in 2015. Yes, I think so. As, a, as an NGO that is to champion early childhood development, care and education around the continent of Africa. I became associated with early African, for short, as we call it. When Robert Seppel saw my work and then I became a fellow, a fellow, a research fellow of, of African. And I have since become a member of the, the regional, region, Regional research tech, I think it's research technical, regional research technical team of mm -hmm. Afghan. Yes, that is it. Where we also became mentors ourselves and then mentored other fellows. And let me also use this opportunity to say that Afghan has a mentorship program for people who want to do work in early childhood development. And so. You should be checking out Afghan website when the next batch of mentorship fellowship is announced, and then you can accordingly apply. I think masters holders and PhD holders, or those doing their PhD currently in the PhD program, could and and of course we allow people from development studies, public health, uh, early childhood education medicine, psychology, sociology to, to come into this field. So if you are interested in, in comparing the course of the African child, then mm -hmm. you are welcome to, to also consider applying when it's open. African also serves as the secretariat for the African Union ECD cluster. Mm -hmm. So, so I work with Afghan as a member of the knowledge generation and yeah, no, knowledge generation and dissemination working group. We have a core working group and then we have the entire working group. So I'm part of the working group, the entire working group and the core working group. So we, for instance, have developed a a plan for a African Union mm -hmm. on on um, ECD knowledge generation and dissemination that was launched and at a, at an AU platform. Yeah, so we do also organize a couple of webinars around that. I think the last webinar was on the children with disability in Africa on providing services and challenges around that. 
So there was a landscape analysis that was contracted to be done for African Union and African. And so that was also presented at the, at the, at the, at the webinar and then we discussed other issues around that as well. Yeah, and then we also work on some other projects, African DAS projects. So if you have some funding somewhere, African will be very happy to, to talk to you about funding or financing some intervention here and there. So currently I am aware that African, because I'm involved in one of them, one of the projects, Global Partnership for Education and IDRC have some projects and African is doing one project in Kenya, the Gambia and Ethiopia. And then African is also involved in another project where that one, I'm part of that project. We are doing knowledge synthesis or evidence synthesis for the projects by, for the eight projects by Global Partnership for Education and IDRC. The projects are basically in low and middle income countries. So we are sort of collating evidence across the projects. Yeah. So yeah, those are some of the things that African does advocacy. Yes. Very much involved in the advocacy for early child. And then, yeah, we do organize webinars beyond the, the AU ECD cluster webinars, the other webinars, but of course, and then conferences, including the recent conference in Lusaka, Zambia, yes. that was the Southern Africa conference on ECD that brought, I think over 200 participants, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Fantastic. across That's the continent great. and from other low and middle income countries, including Laos Republic. Yeah, so people came afar from the regions. Yeah. yeah, it's great to yeah. see such, yeah, so, such, such pollination of thinking and the energy around early childhood. I feel like it's, it's, it's growing, <laughs> which is fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. And, and well, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm reticent to finish, but I, I wonder if we could sort of close with, with some encouraging um, messages, some inspiration for, for the workforce, whether that's researchers, policymakers, decision makers, anyone working in government or that student who's thinking maybe I should work in early childhood. How can we galvanize this energy? What, what, what messages would you like to share with, with the early childhood community? For researchers and people thinking of research in this area, I would say that it doesn't matter your background, early childhood education, care and development, and is not something cut for only those in early childhood education only those in education. It's a multidisciplinary area and it needs all the support that it can get from professionals from, from different fields. It can even come from engineering and all you do is how to help communities build structures for early childhood 
I mean, uh, of course, we don't have engineering engineers or civil engineers who is focus on building ECD centers. You could be that in civil engineer who would become interested in building only structures for ECD centers. How do you build child-friendly houses or, or structures so that, or even the playground, how do you use your engineering, mechanical engineering skills to develop those played things that they can use in those, in those, on those playgrounds that could be child friendly and free from injury and accident. So early childhood development area is multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary. So you are much, so much welcome to, to this discipline. If you are, if you are interested in it, even if you are in political science, you can still be brought into this area and then help government think around how to, or, or even help the, the workforce think around how to govern us the political will to invest in early childhood. So it's a discipline or an area that is so multidisciplinary. So it's not one for any area. So that's the first thing that we should understand. The other thing is that if you, are, if you want to be rewarded, there's some rewards in the discipline. That one I can <laughs> say without doubt. Then reward. Apart from the, the 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 good feeling that you are doing something to to make someone's life and future better. Yes. There are also tangible yeah. rewards. That one there. And because it's a it's a do, domain people are shining away from or shying away from. It becomes, it, it only falls on a few people to do all the work that exists in this domain. Yeah, yeah. So more hands are needed to be able to address all of it and that tangible rewards. Yeah. That one, I can't say that much. There's yeah. tangible rewards. Yeah. And you can come in and support that. And then for NGOs, I know you are doing great jobs for communities and, and you have to still strive to look for ways to do good better for the communities and that it's always important to think, I mean, what, what it will be better for us to go into a community and after 10 years, go back and then still see the remnants of the skills that we pass on to them, the, 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 the things that we expose them to yeah. that still exist in the community, they have been integrated into their cultural practices. And so it's always good to see projects sustainable. So yeah. thinking about sustainability and making it, in fact, there should be sustainability 101 for every project. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And not, not just be quick to think about the fact that we know better and go into the community and we tell them what to do. Well, you can say what you want to say and the community members will do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's so important. And, uh, I know you are doing very good jobs and we should continue to uh, inspire and aspire ourselves to, to do the good job. And then to policymakers and government. 
I will use this opportunity to say that integrating ECD plans into education sector plans is very important. Sometimes you look at the, the education budget and plans for countries or for countries in the low and middle income settings, and then you will find very little for ECD. Um, and what you find might be maybe some monies that have to be paid to some people or some chairs or, or tables that have to be provided to some communities, and, but not the entire spectrum of the, the ECD domain, all the activities that goes into that. So it's important for us to consider integrating ECD plans into the education sector plans and budgets and have votes or budget items for all the activities that we, we have to carry out in the ECD sector from the, the capacity building and training for new professionals and also incentivizing that because you go into many of the teacher training colleges or universities that have ECD program, and then they are struggling to attract people into the, into the programs. So how do we incentivize that? Do we give the questions of giving scholarships so that people will know that I go into this and I'm not going to pay anything yes. for the next four years or the next three years. So all of these things have to be budgeted for. They should reflect on the ECD sector plans so that we know that these things are there and that can, we can easily go to the Ministry of Education and say, a Ministry of Education, we have this, we are requesting that you give us this fund for this budget item to do this, mm -hmm. other than yeah. something being uh, in a consolidated sort of fund that ministers of education now have to make decisions before they would uh, devote a particular fund funding line to, to ECD. We need all of those things done because it's very important. ECD is very important. It's, even if you want. For government, one way to think about it is not even the return on investment. No, move away from return on, on investment in ECD and focus on the fact that those who primarily are responsible for providing caregiving for children, women, are also working. And then they don't, they don't have time to provide the adequate care they want for their kids. So the government needs to step in if we want to benefit from the skills, the knowledge, and then the competences of women. Mm. Provide the ECD service as a way of ensuring that you empower women. So consider this as women empowerment strategy. Even if you don't want to see the benefit of ECD, consider it as women empowerment strategy. Yeah. Wow. That's one you can think about it. Yes, yeah. And all these things are so interconnected that you mentioned, but what, what an amazing call to arms. Your, your energy is entirely infectious. <laughs> I, I, I'm so glad that we've had this conversation and we've covered such a broad spectrum 
um, of, of issues. And, you know, the work that you're doing and continue to do is so vital for, for children across the continent and for people outside the continent to learn from. It, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. I, I wonder if you have anything, any last words for us before we close? Any encouragement? What, what I would say is that early childhood development, care, education, is a critical issue that we have to address as a society. This does not also mean that child care has, it has not been provided by communities or does not exist at all in the communities. But we are saying that times have changed and that when Families used to be in rural communities that they didn't have to care about the global economic systems and how their own children will fit into that. They didn't have to think about that, but now we need to think about that. How, how do we give those children locally relevant skills and globally competitive skills as well? Because they, they, they need to be able to carry on their culture. And at the same time, they need to be able to fend for themselves as adults in this economic, new economic system. So we need to understand that times have changed and we, but it does not mean that the cultural resources that used to be essential for child education are no longer useful. They are still useful and we need to bring them back. And this is why. I would mention here a book by Alan Pence. Let me check their names again. Alan Pence, Alan Pence, Patrick Makoro, and my colleague Hasina Bano Ibrahim and Umar Barg, which has the title Sankofa, Appreciating the Past in planning the future of early childhood education, care and development in Africa. The, I will emphasize on the Sankofa. The Sankofa, well, maybe I, I, I find it quite interesting because I'm also a Ghanaian and Sankofa is, a, is an Akan word, is a, oh, an Akan philosophy. Right. That means that go, go back and take that which worked in the past. So, yep. so the Sankofa is calling us to go back and take from the past that work. Of course, some things may not have worked in the past. It does not mean going forward, we still have to carry them on, on forward, but we have to go back and take what worked in the past. So I would say Sankofa, go back and take that which worked in the past, including the, the, Cultural educational resources, the songs, the games, the, the riddles, and all of these, those things that worked in the past for our education of our children. And once we invest in our children's education, we know that we are also doing things that will prepare them for a bright future.
It doesn't mean all, yeah. all it depends on early childhood, but that will set a good foundation for us to build on. Brilliant. What a fantastic message to conclude. Great conversation. Professor Opam, I want to thank you so much from all of us at Ubuntu Education. We have learned so much from speaking with you. We hope that the listeners on the Ubuntu Hub will also enjoy hearing wise words and uh, we look forward to keeping the conversation going in future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you.